With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Melissa Fumero decided early that she wanted to be a performer. And at first, it seemed like success was all but guaranteed. Admission to NYU's Tisch School of the Arts, a role on the iconic soap opera, One Life to Live. But when it was time to make the next jump, that proved more challenging than Melissa anticipated. Until a fateful audition for a sitcom opposite Andy Samberg, a role Melissa was convinced she would never get. Until she did. Melissa's portrayal of Brooklyn Nine-Nine's Amy Santiago captured the hearts of viewers, myself included, who loved watching a type A teacher's pet Latina mixed up in wild hijinks. We talk about life during Nine-Nine, including a surprise pregnancy, and life after, especially the choice to do another workplace sitcom, Netflix's Blockbuster. Full disclosure, I was nervous about this conversation because I am a Melissa Fumero stan, and she is every bit as warm and charming and, dare I say, normal as I hoped she would be. Melissa, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. So I live in your birthplace. I live in West New York, New Jersey. Oh my God. I feel like the town needs to erect a sign to you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You have this very special upbringing because I can't tell you the number of Latinas I interview who were raised with a, you become a lawyer, you become a doctor, there is no option C. And the number of them that wanted to pursue a life in the arts or a creative life. And when they told their parents, their parents, for reasons that I think you and I would both agree are really understandable, coming from a place of safety and security, say, no, like that's just not an option for you. And you somehow have these parents <laughs> yeah, who like not only are like, they're not just saying, okay, you have our permission. They're really, they make it possible for you to do this. Yeah. It's really something that hit me like late into adulthood, how extraordinary it was. 
my mother's side of the family does have a lot of artists, painters and sculptors and fine arts. I wonder if that was a little bit part of it, just kind of being a little bit used to that world. And my parents loved to go to theater. And so they would take me to see a Broadway show once a year. And once they saw I was so into it, they kept doing it. I think once they saw that I was getting really serious about it, they got scared. Like when I was in college, there were a couple conversations with my dad where he was like, maybe you could like minor in business. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, dad, there's literally no room in the schedule when you're a drama major. Like it's, I'm in studio all day, every day. Like how? And he was like, okay, okay, okay. I think getting into NYU also, that was like a turning point and getting like talent scholarships. I think they were like, oh, maybe she is good. Like, you know, like maybe we don't just think she's good because she's our daughter. Like it was like little by little, they got less scared. I think they just very much had that immigrant outlook, which is now I realize very rare of like, this is the reason we came here. This is the reason we gave everything up so that you could literally pursue your dreams and pursue your passions as scary as they may be to us. That was the whole point. Well, it also helps that you get your first job like 10 minutes after taking your final exam. Oh, that helps a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And they were adamant about me going to college too. That was not like an option. They were like, no, you will go to college. Like, fine, if you want to go to college for drama, but you will go to college. And yeah, I booked my first job like pretty much on my last day of college. So yeah, that helped a lot. To be that young and to be on a show that is beloved as One Life to Live, what was it like to then watch yourself back? Oh, awful. The hardest thing about working on a soap opera is the format of that particular genre is that you do a lot, a lot of pages, a lot, a lot of scenes in one day. Everything is one or two takes. So if you don't nail it, they just kind of move on. (laughs) Explains a lot. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. So there were a lot of days where I would like cry on my walk home feeling like I just did the worst acting ever and it's going to be on television. And that to me was the hardest part about that job. I think sometimes your career gets flattened into you were on this major soap and then you were on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But there's actually space between those two things. What did it require of you to get yourself into a position where people could start to see you as a comedic actress? There was six years in between those two big jobs. I was getting a lot of comedy auditions and a lot of callbacks, but I wasn't booking. And so I felt like there was a disconnect. And so I did have to go kind of seek out some more guidance, try to hone my skills, try to figure out. For me, it was figuring out like in the beginning, where am I funny and in what kind of characters am I funny? Like what's my wheelhouse? Just to start there. I did a session at Groundlings. I found a comedy coach. I think because I was coming from a drama background, I also tended to play things a little too small sometimes. And so it was learning how to just like go big and like have them pull you back. Mm. There was one job, Important Things with Dimitri Martin. I booked a guest star on that. And 
Beth McCarthy Miller was a producer on that show. And she came up to me while we were shooting and she was like, you're really funny. And you have like a very natural comedic timing. And she was like, you should do this. Like, this should be your focus. I was like, oh. And, you know, sometimes it just takes someone... Seeing it in you. Seeing it in you and like really pointing it out. And I think it was after that job that I started to kind of direct more of my focus towards it. And then Brooklyn happened. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. As someone who personally has big Amy Santiago energy, like <laughs> perfectionist, like holds a little too tight onto things. Yes. I love that <laughs> part of the success of your Brooklyn Nine-Nine audition is the fact that you weren't holding it so tight. That you like didn't think you were going to get it. And that that allowed you to show up. I think there's like a lesson there for all of us. A hundred percent. And I often think of that audition so much when I feel myself getting in my head with auditions or anything. Because yeah, I just got out of my own way. I showed up to that thing and I had like the most, this is ridiculous. I can't even believe I'm here. There's no world in which I book this job that's going to go to some stand-up comedian or just like a bigger comedic name. And yeah, I just was so in the moment. I was so in what I like to call like flow, like just like very present and listening. And my brain was having ideas. Like it was just all, but it was mostly just that I didn't psych myself out before I went into the room. No, but then you get the job and you psych yourself out. And then I totally psyched myself out. (laughs) And then I spent the entire week of the pilot shoot, like, almost having a panic attack every day. To me, Brooklyn sort of had, like, a Miami Heat vibe to it, where it was like, everyone here is playing at an exceptional level. 
And there is no weak link here. Like, Mm. I imagine that just having the bar set so high just allowed you to continually lift that bar for yourself. Like, I wonder what it took for you to level up in that experience. Yeah, it definitely took a while. I mean, I felt the whole first season like I was just trying to keep up, which now I realize was a good thing, but I would just like try things all the time. But it came out of like an insecurity of like, I don't know what's funny. So I'm just going to try like five different things. <laughs> and they're, I'm just going to trust that they know what's funny and they're going to pick the funniest one. But that's also like how you shoot comedy. <laughs> But I was like, I don't know. I just don't want to get fired. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, it really just like took time to sort of build my confidence and also my very like generous and loving castmates being like, dude, you're funny. Like, stop. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like you just start with what you know you're good at and then you just keep trying to build it. And like that never stops, you know, like there's no, I mean, Maybe Meryl Streep, but like there's no masters <laughs> of acting. Do you know what I mean? Like, in my opinion, there's no like, you're just constantly evolving and getting better. It's a practice more than anything. Melissa, I think you had, did you have your first son March 2016? Is that right? Yeah. Am I remembering that? Okay. So you had your first son right around the time that I got pregnant with my first child. And I remember watching you and being like, okay, Melissa's on air. Melissa figured this out. Like, <laughs> this is figure outable. And so I love the fact that you actually did not plan this. This was a surprise. And then you were like forced to figure it out. Yes. Because this is because you were also the first one on that show to take the plunge. And then it felt, again, watching it outside that all of a sudden, like everyone else was like, okay, I can get pregnant yeah. and not lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yes. Yeah. And I thank God, worked for the best people. One thing that helped also was so much of our crew and our producers were Parks and Rec folks. So they went through two pregnancies with Amy Poehler on that show. So wardrobe was like, we got you. Here's what we do. We do longer jackets. We do bigger pants. Like they put me at ease, like right away. They were like, as soon as something feels tight, you just let us know. We've got bigger shirts waiting. And yeah, and my bosses, you know, Dan Gore, Mike Schur were like, yeah, you're having a baby. That's so much bigger and more important than like the comedy show we're making. Like, <laughs> So it was really great. And it's funny that you say that you were pregnant at that time and like looking towards me because right before I got pregnant, I read Amy Poehler's memoir and she gave birth on like a Saturday that she was supposed to be doing weekend update and was like calling Seth from the delivery room. It's like this crazy, incredible story. And so while I was shooting that season, especially at the very end when I was like nine full months pregnant, I was like, Amy Poehler worked on Saturday Night Live literally up until the day that she gave birth. So you've got this, girl. <laughs> you have to know that it's possible. You just have to know that it's possible. <laughs> I I imagine that being on a show as iconic as Brooklyn Nine-Nine, that when it ends— you kind of want to sit with what you do next to make sure that the what you do next is the right thing. And I also imagine that there is pressure from people who care about you to strike while the iron is hot and that those exist as sort of counter tensions. And I wonder which pulled you more firmly. 
I think doing something that felt right pulled me more. I think especially given like the pandemic and everything that happened and I had another baby during the pandemic and then we shot our final season during the pandemic. It was like all this craziness. I sort of felt like, no, 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 I have time. It has to feel like the right thing and it has to be something that I really want to do and feel passionate about. I'm impressed by that, by the confidence. (laughs) I mean, listen, there were definitely days where I was like, oh God. (laughs) It wasn't like, I'm I'm saying like, like, uh, like 75 to 80% of the time I held pretty strong to my convictions, said no to a couple things. And then would like freak out about saying no for like a week. So, it, you know, it wasn't like, I wasn't standing like an oak tree. In my, <laughs> <laughs> it was more like a, I don't know, something more flimsy. A pa- yeah, a palm tree, something that sways. Yeah, like a palm tree. It's yeah. good homage to your <laughs> cultural heritage as well. <laughs> so how did you know that like this was it? Like, did you read the script for Blockbuster? What sold you? I read it and I loved it. I loved the world. It made me laugh. I felt like I connected to Eliza like so quickly. She just was one of those characters. After I read it, I was like, I know how to play her. Like, yes, this will be challenging, but like, I know how to play her. I do think Eliza is a complex character in the way that I think a lot of us have that experience of thinking our life is going to be one thing and finding ourselves back at square one. Even thinking of you, the fact that it's like, yes, you got to go to NYU, you got to go to the stream school, but like you had to live at home. And that I think we can all kind of hook into. Yeah, I agree. I loved her story and her history. It's just really relatable to me and interesting to see a woman who's already raised a kid and kind of already had this like one huge chapter of her life and is like starting over in like a weird time in her life. And because you sort of are too. Yeah. Cause I sort of am too. And I think that is what I connected to right away. It did feel a little bit of like, yeah, post Brooklyn life, you know? Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. I want to ask you two things about your parents. One is you often tell this really beautiful story about getting into NYU and then this conversation that so many of us have had with our parents where they're like, we can't afford it, but we're going to figure out how we afford it. And I wonder, now that you have had so much success, what your relationship to them and to that moment is, right? Like when your parents step out for you in that way, Mm. what then you feel you owe to them or what the responsibility is once that success has been realized? Yeah. I mean, I'm always fighting with my dad because I want to pay for things for them. (laughs) You do feel a huge sense of obligation. I felt not pressure, but like I, I 
I wanted to, you know, make sure I paid off my student loans and that I was always really good with my money and that I was always saving and conscious. And, you know, and I, I think because, yeah, they made this like huge sacrifice. I mean, they emptied their savings and helped me take out loans to pay for college. And my dad is just very also traditional that way. Like, I remember after he insisted on paying for our wedding as well, which was another, I was like, I was working at the time. I was like, I can, he paid for like the venue and we, you know, we paid for everything else was the compromise we finally came to after so much arguing. And then after the wedding, my husband wanted to give him all the money we got as gifts. And it was the one and only time my husband got like scared by my dad. (laughs) He was like, he like, I saw, they were outside. I wasn't even there for the conversation. It was like, I watched it through a window. (laughs) (laughs) And my dad is 6'1". He has a very booming voice. My friend once said he kind of sounds like a Cuban Count Chocula. (laughs) And I kind of saw my husband like start to shrink as they're like a few minutes into the conversation. I was like, oh yeah, that's not going his way. And my husband just walked in. He was like, all those stories that you told of your dad and how scary he could get when he yelled that I never believed, I now believe. (laughs) I also love that you always refer to your parents as being sort of high school sweethearts who are still so in love. But like, I hate to break it to you. You've also been with your husband for forever. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I wonder how you two have navigated the fact that you have two big careers happening in tandem. Yeah. You know, we joke that we feel like we have really big guardian angels because our careers have ebbed and flowed in this really yin and yang way. When one of us has been extremely busy, the other one's been not as much. Like there's always these little like gifts we kind of get with time and availability. It's gotten much more complicated now with kids. So like when I was, I we shot Blockbuster in Vancouver and my husband stayed in LA with the kids. So he had to pass on like out of town work for those two months. And that's like a new thing for us, but we have kids now and it's, it is what it is. You know, like you just kind of. It is what it is if you want to raise your kids. It is what it is if you want to raise your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've talked about like, we've established sort of lengths of time that we can do, you know, two months felt doable to do that, you know? It just requires, I think, more juggling than people, than people realize. And saying, having to say, sometimes it not being your moment and you being the one who has to say no to things. Yeah. And I think that we've both had up moments. We've both had really down moments. And so we're both very understanding of whatever the other person's going through. I think the last couple years with my career kind of going up another notch on the ladder has been like a new element for us that we're both like experiencing together. And I think we also like we just see it very much as like a team thing, you know, like we see our careers as like, this is our small business. And so any like win is good for the business, especially now that we have kids. But yeah, it's a lot of juggling. It's a lot of juggling. I like that though, a team business. Melissa, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Thank you, as always, for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Trendel Lightburn mixed this episode. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram or tweet us at Latina to Latina. Check out our merchandise at latinatolatina.com slash shop. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share the podcast, every time you leave a review, you help us grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.